right. Well, we're on. Oh, we're recording. We're, we're just gonna. I think we should just have one, two, two. Bam! Bam! Welcome we're back. back. We're back. Another episode. They wanted us. This is the decade going. version. This is number ten. Number ten. We made it to ten, ten shows. And How about that? Ten shows. And so thank everyone for, for listening. Oh yes, absolutely. It's been an awesome trip. So happy to have everyone listening along with us, following the journey on social media. And yeah, just the engagement was excellent. So number ten, number ten is a special one, a very special guest. Yeah, this is. I, I think since the beginning of the show, actually, I've been telling Nate, I'm like, hey, Bill has a very cool capsule <laughs> that we need to talk about. <laughs> Gotta get this. And I've been trying. I've been. We've been like, we need. To, we need to get this. So this is a special episode. Um, we're very excited to have Bill on with us today. Bill, how's it going? Glad to have you on. Oh, thank you. It's, it's great to be here. I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. It's really hot in our yeah. studio. <laughs> our studio. <laughs> <laughs> really hot, we transferred but... from our PLU studio to uh-huh. now our yeah closet studio, <laughs> and it's uh, we cleaned out a closet and just put like a couple of posters and microphone in it and call it a studio but that's um, a real studio yeah <laughs> yeah but uh it's been good we just got back uh from like a little camp or a little, escaped out into the woods yeah a little little mm. cabin trip so it was good yeah mm. it was nice mm-hmm. but we're just kind of kind of hanging in there just yeah how's uh, how's post-graduation life been treating you it's honestly been so great you know like i'm staying up at 3 a.m and i'm waking up at noon <laughs> and you know things that i haven't been doing um <laughs> things that aren't new so I'm just just been hanging out, going on walks back in UP, nice. university place, and uh, it's been nice just being back in a while. Things been open at all there, or yeah. So um, university place is full of all these like old white people, and so you know we're in phase two now. So everything's open. They made sure to keep everything open. Here. Oh man! Yeah, boy. yeah. Yeah. Well, we love the background too. He's got a really funny uh, office background. <laughs> it looks like yeah, he's doing a, the talking head. Stanley's in the, in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Bill, um, double major, right? If you want to talk about that and um, your, your right degrees in. and kind of, of what what was your PLU journey? Let's to get, hear that to get PLU there. journey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So I guess um, start talking about the double major. So. I'm a chemistry and French double major. But to be specific, I'm a biochemistry emphasis. For French, it's francophone studies in the French language. Mm. Um, yeah, it all started, like, I guess, freshman year. I came in, and I was only expecting to do uh, chemistry. I was actually expecting to do biology and chemistry, but uh, I realized that I hated the bio department. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so um, I didn't actually start my... French major until I went on my first study abroad, which was in, um, it was one of those J-term study abroads to Martinique um, mm. in the Caribbean. It was really nice. So that was like the first class that I was thinking like, hey, maybe I could, you know, keep doing this. If, I, if it means I could study away more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, um, other than that, you know, taking all the prereqs, um, I did pretty well in my language placement exam. So that kind of shaved off some time for me. I didn't actually have to mm. do all the, all the beginning classes. Yeah. And then, it all culminated, and I was, you know, before you know, I'm taking two capstones in the same semester, and uh, it is what it is. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. he's wild, man. Oh man, and then they both get put online. How was yeah. that? <laughs> Honestly, it's not that bad. Like, it kind of sucks. I I don't get my one 15 moments of glory in there. You know, <laughs> standing up in front of the whole audience, but you no, know, it's it's creative. Uh, life finds a way. 
That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, Bill and I were in the same uh, languages and literature. Well, we were both the same capstones, chemistry and, and mm-hmm. uh, languages and literatures. And yeah, we had Manfredi as our professor, yeah. and that was a it was a fun class. I I mm-hmm. enjoyed it. It was a it was a challenging one, but but um, it was a interesting development of like, okay, here's all the background that you like need you know, mm-hmm. for your capstone <laughs> and then, yeah. and then it moved into, okay, now run off, do whatever you want. And then uh, coronavirus hit. Yeah. Uh, and then it just turned into kind of a free for all. <laughs> I felt like <laughs> for like the last, the last couple of times. Yeah. So can you talk like a little bit about your interest in like French and, and Francophone studies? Like what, what kind of drove you into that? And, and what, um, first of all, what is Francophone studies? I honestly, I honestly don't yeah. even have the first idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's completely fair. So Francophone studies, it comes from, you know, Franco and phone, you know, phone is just like you know, talking and it's like, you know, talking. Franco is Francophone studies are just studies in places where they would speak French. So, you know, like, um, let's say Morocco, France, um, you know, the rest of the Maghreb, Vietnam, and just other countries. So, um, yeah, that, that's just Francophone studies. It's just French, but mm-hmm. they want to make it sound fancy. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that that kind of drove then your interest then into French or or were you um, like you, you said your travels in Martinique were, mm-hmm. were particularly interesting and then that kind of just drove you down. Was there a particular like professor that you worked with at PLU or anything that that kind of sparked that interest in French for you? Yeah. So um, you know I grew up speaking French uh, as a kid, but I oh. kind of like got away from that and I started getting back into it in high school. So when I first came to to PLU. Um, I was talking to the chair of the French department, you know, Rebecca Wilkin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were just talking about like, oh, like what it means, like, you know, like growing up speaking French and, you know, just like kind of not really like, you know, not having French as your native tongue per se, but sort of taking it on as a second or even a third language. And like, you know, we just really like connected with that. And, um, you know, she was just describing all these courses to me. And she was actually the one that like, you know, kind of egged me into doing the study way thing, my first study way actually. And, um, yeah, she's just been like this rock for me uh, in the French department, actually. I, I can honestly say that I'm a French major because of her. She kind of bullied me into it at first, but uh, <laughs> I, I, came to, I came to appreciate it more and more. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you have a very unique capstone. I've been hearing a lot yeah. about this, so, but I want to hear yes. it from the man himself. Yeah, so let's talk. Let's just jump into it. Yeah. Food. Go mm-hmm. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, before I get into like, you know, diving into this, all this francophone, uh, you know, mumbo jumbo, I just, you know, for like, I guess like, you know, I grew up with my mom, like, you know, and, and my dad, of course, but I spent a lot of time with my mom. We would cook a lot, you know, and food was like sort of the way that we would connect. Um, my first like sort of words that I learned, like, I guess the first words I learned in any language are just kind of related to food because it's just like, that's how you like, um, that's how you talk. That's how you can express yourself. So, you know, the title of my capstone is Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire, a comparative analysis on the culinary hybridity of post-Franco-colonial territories. So, just to sort of check <laughs> all that on the jumbo. <laughs> yeah, I know, it sounds pretty complicated. You know, it's, I'm just talking about, you know, what it means for these countries that were once colonized by France to sort of go through the process of decolonizing and just the concept of post-colonialism itself with relation to food. Because, you know, food is such a great marker of, you know, one's cultural identity, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it just makes sense to think that, like, how one would reclaim their identity, you, you'll be able to see this journey through the food. 
And so, you know, it's a competitive analysis. So the two countries I chose were Martinique, of course, and Vietnam, my home country. Hmm. So, yeah, um, I specialized on sort of the, you know, the Vietnamese banh mi. You know, I'm hmm. sure you've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the Vietnamese sandwich that's, you, know, you see it in everywhere, especially in Seattle. It's, it's huge. Um, and you also, and I also talked about the Vietnamese iced coffee, which is cafe soda. Which you know, it's the Vietnamese coffee. You you probably see pictures of it everywhere, but you probably you know, don't really recognize it as Vietnamese. But you know, it's a lot different than your normalized coffee. And then on the Martinican side, I talked about rum. You know, because Mar- Martinique is one of the rum. Um, those Martinique is one of like the key exporters of rum in the world. Mm. And these are all sort of possible because of the French impact of, of colonialism. So yeah. What a, I mean, what a way to like take two things that, I mean, I, I would never, I would never even consider to like consider, you know, colonialism and food in the same sentence. Right. And, yeah. uh, here it, we are. God. It's such an interesting concept. And, and I know you'll talk about like the Bon mm-hmm. specifically and, and, but like, I never, I think like growing up in mm-hmm. America and the Pacific Northwest, and there's a lot of, you know, different foods flying around and oh, yeah. you see the Bon Mi, right. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like, that's Vietnamese. And then like you mentioned it and I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. There, whoa. Whoa. Yeah. There is French influence in that all the way, like right in the bread. I, and I didn't even notice. Yeah. That. Yeah, so, the craziest thing for me was like, like I didn't realize, I, I guess I was, wasn't really cognizant of this, but bread isn't Vietnamese, you know, cause like carbohydrate back, you know, like in the days before the French came was rice. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Rice is so prevalent in, even in the area, like you can't really grow wheat the same way that you grow rice. You know, that's why you have like rice fields and rice patties because rice can grow there. It's just wild to think that like French bread is just everywhere. And, you know, the Vietnamese people have made it their own thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when, maybe, you know, this, maybe, you know, that's totally fine. But when the, the botany was developed, did they just start using like French imported bread or did they start doing it themselves? Yeah. So um, the history of French bread in Vietnam is like, um, the French would import their baguettes, right? Because they couldn't grow wheat. And Mm -hmm. so they would have all these settlers, you know, to come and settle and colonize the land. And as more and more, you know, Europeans came, they would have to import more and more European foods because, you know, like part of the way that they would sort of draw these sort of um, lines of discrimination was in the food. Like, oh, you eat rice? Well, I eat bread. Like you eat fish, Mm -hmm. I eat cold-cut meats. And I drink milk and cream. So like, you know, course the original like french baguette was just that it was just 100 wheat but eventually after you know the decolonization process started happening after vietnam got its independence the vietnamese people started making their own baguettes and they started adding um was glutinous rice flour and so that's why like if you, hmm. you know take a french 100 french baguette with a vietnamese baguette they, they're kind of different they're super similar but i think the ratio is like what 70 percent wheat to 30 percent glutinous rice flour so that's what makes up that, that inner consistency of it, you know. That's why it's so different. Hmm. Yeah. And here's the chemistry bit too. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, so no. cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, and and you've you've definitely very synth- very well synthesized those two degrees. And um, can you talk a little bit about like what what uh, what yeah the the synthesis of those two has been for you, and maybe what you see that synthesis being in the future for yourself? Oh, so synthesis and sort of like how um, just synthesis between French and chemistry or yeah. Yeah. yeah French like and chemistry. Yeah, what, what's the, each other. And, yeah. What's the future for you with, yeah. with French and, and chemistry? 
well, hopefully, like, you know, in the far off future, you know, hopefully doing stuff with the world of wine, you know, enology. You know, mm-hmm. wine is pretty French and it'd be nice to speak a language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also right. understanding the sort of the science behind it. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, I don't know. Like, a lot of people wouldn't think that language and STEM, like, classes are related, but it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a different way of thinking. And I think having these two degrees and, like, being able to sort of go through these two sort of different schools of uh, thought, it's super helpful for, like, you know, tackling, you know, new foreign problems that, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to solve with just one area of thinking. So it's, uh, it's, it's a nice little multifaceted approach to you know, really breaking things down and analyzing things. Yeah. How do I peel you? Yeah, absolutely. I like it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's people buying the molecules Yeah, and right. that's, yeah, you, you put it very well. That it's, it's important. I think to have, have a human aspect mm-hmm. of, of our solutions to problems. And, you know, if we're just scientists and we just come up with, with the, the solution it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be in the hands of those who need it so oh, yeah. um that's why i think yeah it's really important to keep those those two like you like you have pretty well well balanced but back to food because yeah. I'm, I'm just, oh, yeah. I, I can't i can't get over how just i mean it's so, such a unique you know way to i mean look at not only like you said culture but now i mean you've got the scientific aspect to it and you've got the you know, the, the, the historical relation among countries. And I guess what, how did you sort of approach, what was your maybe initial approach? Was there like a way that this topic grew or what was sort of like your initial thesis, I guess, what, what, what was, what were you going to go about doing when you set out to write this capstone? Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it didn't really start like this to begin with. Um, when I first got back from, from my second study abroad in France, I, really wanted to do something with just like wine, you know, because my chemistry capsule was about yeast and, you know, like Saccharomyces and how you can synthesize alcohol with it. So I thought it'd be cool to like, you know, oh, let's talk about wine in France. But like after a while, it just sort of grew to be more than just drink it, you know, because you have to have something to eat with uh, when you're drinking. So I don't know. And then it just started growing in this sort of this uh, little, um, uh, the seed, you know, the seed of this original idea. It's just about food, food and I wanted to link, you know, like my Vietnamese like, culture and you know, my study abroad experiences. Cause like <clears throat> I was talking to Rebecca and she mentioned that I was the, uh, you know, the second ever chemistry and French double major specifically the graduate mm-hmm. from Paleo. And it's like, Oh, like I want to make something that's really unique. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you know, unique and we're talking about Vietnamese food. And I think I was, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I think I was eating some Arby's at the time when I was thinking like when this idea fully came to fruition, I was like, oh. <laughs> let's talk about food and like in Vietnam and I don't know, Martinique and these two countries, I was like, Oh wait, I can just do a comparative analysis. Like, you know, like I was thinking like, Oh, how would I link it to France? It's like, Oh, duh. Both of these countries have been colonized by the French. And it's like, all right, well, uh, guess what is my theoretical approach? I'm like, Oh, maybe post-colonialism. I just finished my post-colonialism class. And I thought it'd be cool to talk about like hybridity, you know, the mixing, the, the metissage of two things. Well, what other ways can two things be mixed? You know, it's like I'm here eating my Arby's, and it's like, wow, like, why not food? <laughs> I don't know, it all comes back to food. So, uh, that's I gotta give me some Arby's then. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Arby's gives you these Yo, epiphanies. Whoa, all right. Ar- Arby's epiphanies, yeah. Arby- Arby's epiphany. That's the new, that's the hashtag for this show. Oh, man. That's excellent. Oh, that's good. 
So, okay. So, so that's, so that's how it like came about. And then, so then now going back to uh, the specific foods, how then did you land on the specific foods and the specific drinks that you decided to, to address within the capstone? Yeah. So um, going back to Martinique, you know, like um, why I chose rum, it's just, um, we did a lot of plantation visits and we went on visits to plantations where they did bananas and once where they did sugarcane. And the sugarcane industry was such a huge part of the slave trade in Martinique. You know, that's why it sort of began. That's why they started importing slaves. But to think of it now, it's like Martinicans have taken sugarcane, like all this like hurtful, like all this, this pained history and trauma, and they've made it their own. They've made it this world-class product, you know, like Martinican rum is like high class. And I'm sure there are other people who debate like, oh, actually Dominican rum, or Puerto Rican rum which I've had to debate about <laughs> uh, when I was abroad. But um, and Martinican rums definitely made its name. So I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know, symbolic of the struggle and the sort of like a healing process that goes into like, you know, reforming one's identity and sort of, what's the word, consolidating one's uh, cultural mm-hmm. like, uniqueness. And for Vietnam, I just did the banh mi just because, I don't know, I felt like everyone could relate to the banh mi. You know, like, I, I, I guess I could have done pho as well, but like, um, now, I feel like I see pictures of a bunny like everywhere when when you're walking mm-hmm. on Parkland, like walking on Garfield. You know, you got your two Asian restaurants. You know, you're going to see a sandwich. And yeah. So when you right, you had the banh mi and you had mm-hmm. rum, and um, you're talking about right, like specific things about these things. Where did you did you like find recipes, or did you like what specifically did you look at to mm-hmm. analyze like French influence on? on these these countries and their their cuisine yeah so um you know for the vietnamese dishes i actually <laughs> i asked my mom for a little bit of help because you know oh. she she's full vietnamese but she actually has french like training like with her cooking uh, mm-hmm. so she trained under french chefs um so you know i just asked her and i picked up a few cookbooks um we actually uh, i have this background on but we're actually in my quote-unquote library right now and got a whole like shelf and a half on just cookbooks Oh, whoa, so, that's you know, so cool. Because, yeah, you know, cooking is like kind of, it's kind of big to us. So just reading those recipes and it's just like, oh, actually, thank you. Um, my lovely assistant has provided me with the book that I used for my own. Uh, <laughs> oh. effort. Oh, you can't see me. It's called From Provence to Pondicherry, Recipes from oh. France and Far Away. So this is the main text I use. It, it encompasses what Vietnamese cooking is in a nutshell. And I was looking through, and it seems pretty legit, you know, like, cause I did my research on this author as well, Tessa Kiros. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's actually been to these places, and she's talked to these people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, cookbooks were my, sort of my main source of inspiration. And this one <laughs> nice. that, That's so cool. That, I feel like that's, that's like, such an abstract, like, because we've all got our piece of primary literature. Right? Yeah, right? everyone's yeah. got their essays there, you know. All right, these. but that's like something that people use daily, right? right? Like, it's not something mm-hmm. that, like, like, right, like the, these, like, deep literary theory. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, I, I, I appreciate that. I read it and I appreciate it. It makes me think a lot. Mm-hmm. But there's Simplicity things that, like, real people like. are using, like, constantly and, and mm-hmm. analyzing them for influence and. How much? I mean, how much culture and attitude, political things within a a cookbook? Yeah, and it's it's just a household item. Oh man, yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you find like um, in your like 
searches through like cookbooks and stuff. Did you ever find like recipes maybe that were online or something that, that uh, were like flares of something else coming into, uh, coming into it? Like, and I was like this French influence mm-hmm. on it, but were there like moments of, or like particular parts that like maybe make it uniquely Vietnamese or uniquely Mar- Martinican? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I guess like, uh, cause sort of the basis of cooking is, you know, like, like if we break it down, it's, it's only techniques and ingredients and, you know, like what, like your, you know, your secret ingredient, which I claim that all good cooking comes from the heart and you don't actually need a cookbook, but <laughs> yeah. So can I guess, like, anyone can cook. Yeah, anyone can cook. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Here. But um, <laughs> yeah, like for me, my first, when, when I was first approaching this, Topic. I was, I was, that's a good question. I was asking myself that, like, I was wondering if I should talk about how these techniques are French or like, you know, French nature, like, you know, when you make a gravy, you know, you add butter and flour in equal ratios to make a roux. Um, but as it sort of grew, I was just, I dove more into the history and that sort of formed, um, and how like the formation of these dishes, the genesis of these dishes is strictly from this, um, you know, Franco-Martinic and Franco-Viet interactions. So, yeah, the things that make it specifically Vietnamese there, I, I would argue, is just the people itself that are making these, you know. It's, I, I don't know if it's any ingredient in particular, but it's specifically just the people um, revolting against this, you know, revolting in this power struggle to make something for themselves. And can you talk a little bit about, like, the actual um, revolution that happened in these countries and um, kind of what what uh, what the history has been with with the, the the french as well there for maybe people who yeah. aren't super up to date on that yeah of course so um i'll start with martinique um so everyone's heard of christopher columbus you know, right 1492 <laughs> on the Billy ocean blue yeah he discovered quote unquote discovered the yeah. americas mm-hmm. and um you know long story short uh, you know through a whole um sort of series of politicking you get what is known as the slave trade, you know, the triangular trade, where mm-hmm. it was between what I believe is the Caribbean and the Americas and um, Europe and Africa. Well, in some texts, they, they count um, the Caribbean as part of the Americas, which I guess that's the part that makes it a triangle. But to me, I was kind of like separated them like mentally. So, but yeah. So um, let me see if I can pull up some specific dates here. But in Martinique, you know, the triangular trade was, was in full effect. And they were importing slaves from Africa. And not only from Africa, they were importing slaves from India as well. And everyone, mm. you know, it's, it's interesting. I didn't think that they would import like, people from everywhere, but they did. Mm. So in Martinique, they, you know, you'd have the, the plantation owner, the slave owner, and then you'd have the slaves. And these slaves would come from sort of a variety of sort of a myriad number of backgrounds. And so part of the... Um, Part of like the food culture that was just it's part martinic and it's part french but it's also indian and it's just all these other um all these other aspects to it mm. and i believe it was oh the name escapes me but um it was um what was his name oh my gosh it's slipping my mind <laughs> there's good. this one very yeah there's this one very um prominent political figure victor Schulcher. that was his name mm. um and he sort of led the led the rebellion against slavery. And, you know, it wasn't actually the first, it was actually, I believe, the third sort of um, 
sort of events where they would speak of against slavery. And it was him that pushed for the emancipation of um, and the abolishment of slavery. Mm-hmm. And as such, you know, you see his names in France and you will see his names in pretty much every single town in Martinique, you know, Victor Schulcher. So he becomes a hero of Martinique by, you know, helping to abolish slavery. But after the abolition of slavery, you know, like they still needed to, you know, have a working economy to sort of prove themselves to, to sort of have any sort of economic clout. So, you know, they just kept going. And so they would keep exporting sugar and eventually sugar refined products and petroleum. And when you have it, mm-hmm. rum is uh, the alcohol that is derived from sugarcane. <clears throat> and so, you know, that continues today. And um, then in recent history, I'm not too familiar, but it was the res- my research was mainly focused on this sort of, yeah, the origins, the, um, the, the beginnings of um, where rum comes from. <clears throat> As for Martinique, uh, or, sorry, as for Vietnam, um, the French colonized what is known as French Indochina. So, you know, if you've heard of the restaurant Indochina, or it's our Indochine, now it comes from Indochina, uh, fun factory there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, you know, France was, France had control over that whole area. And it was at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, which uh, was sort of known as the defeat of the French. And between that, uh, between the end of the Sino-French War in 1885 to 1954, uh, governmental autonomy of Vietnam was relinquished. And then the hybridization of French Vietnamese cuisine was um, sort of, it sort of started you know, when they the French started pulling out. And it really came about with the, um, the Vietnam War. And you know, I, I know that's kind of a touchy subject for some Americans. But Vietnam has been through this, a whole hodgepodge of uh, conflicts between you know, some greater power and themselves. And mm-hmm. you know, they eventually come out on top and they um, they they first create the, the baguette, the Vietnamese baguette as a sort of, a, as a sort of, um, I'm sorry, can I curse on this? Yeah. Like a, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, the Vietnamese baguette is just a big fuck you to the French. Um, because <laughs> they're like, excellent. hey, we're, this, is, this is our, this is how we make bread. Mm-hmm. And then the Vietnamese bun me is like, oh yeah? Like, well, we can do with your food. And then... <laughs> No, eventually you get baguette with uh, with pate, you know, like chicken liver. Um, you get it with mayonnaise. You know, it's sort of a uh, sort of a resistance to using butter. You know, because mm. butter is very French. You know, French cooking with Julie Childs always add a stick of butter to whatever you're making. Yep, <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah. And then on the sort of the drinking side of it, you've got the iced coffee. And so you know, like to make Vietnamese iced coffee, you don't actually use like Vietnamese coffee beans. You use Oh, Café du Monde, which is sort of it's like this name brand. You just you basically use name brand um, Frenchified Folgers mm-hmm. and condensed milk. <clears throat> you know, the condensed milk is, you know, markedly Asian, like Eastern Asian. But, you know, it's, it's Frenchified Folgers that you use. You don't use, um, I guess you don't use like any other brand for Vietnamese coffee. And it's just sort of the genesis of these two it's just how people, how Vietnamese people have established themselves, as have established their culinary stronghold and sort of are building on this citadel on which you know, people can come and approach and partake in the, uh, <clears throat> partake in the, um, in the cultural identity of Vietnam. So, yeah, that's just sort of how those two like, countries came about to be, you know, to make foods that are specifically theirs. 
So cool. Wow. <laughs> so, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry I'm now, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, one of these places are open right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's yeah. so cool. And that's awesome. do you know anything about, like, because there's, like, particular sauces, right, that, that mm. go with Vietnamese cuisine. Did that also develop out of, like, a, a form of, like, cultural identity mm-hmm. in Vietnam as well? Um, yeah, so... In Vietnam, you know, you have fish sauce, but then you add in sugar, you add, because um, I think, yeah, the philosophy behind, like, you know, nuk um, jam, which is, you know, Vietnamese dipping sauce, is that it's supposed to, you know, turn all your senses up to 11. You're hitting all five flavors, you know, the same sort of little drop. And um, it's, I, I haven't found any research, I haven't found any evidence through my research of, like, specific French influence. I do believe that sort of Vietnamese dipping sauce is just that it's Vietnamese in nature. And um, mm. it's just sort of, it's, um, <clears throat> it's just sort of a, a unique, um, you know, creation in and of itself. Mm. But uh, they do pickle daikons and carrots as opposed to, you know, cucumbers, like, you know, like the Western world does. So that's, oh. Yeah, I have seen those. They come with the sandwich, and yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. Those are always really good on that as well. I know. Yeah, I've never really had that much Vietnamese food except for the. I had it. I had it very recently. And it was mm-hmm. a. It was a morning. We were all very hungover, and we went. And we were like, let's go get <laughs> Vietnamese food. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I was like, is that going to help? And like, we promise you, it's going to do wonders. <laughs> we got oh, it at like yeah. 10 a.m. It was unreal. So good. Mm-hmm. So I am. Yeah, and and five, like you mentioned, yeah. also is, is also very. Uh, unique i think to vietnam mm-hmm. um and it's a, it's a noodle dish but it's it, it's it's distinctly vietnamese and um mm-hmm. it, yeah it's very different from its its neighbors as well so mm-hmm. i think yeah it, it is interesting to think of like the individuality that comes with the country and mm-hmm. uh the cuisine mm-hmm. that is also derived from you know a, a their political yeah, yeah absolutely yeah Absolutely. I mean, did you did you use a uh, very serious question? Did you use ratatouille at all as a uh, as a <laughs> I actually did. <laughs> well, you did. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think I referenced it in the latter uh, half of my essay when I'm talking about sort of mo- no like the modernization. Uh, I use fancy, big fancy words. Mm. The modernization <laughs> of culinary hybridity today. And, <laughs> so you know, I'm talking about my literary, like where you can find cultural, my culinary hybridity in literary mm. texts but also in sort of popular media. And so I'm, of course I'm talking about Ratatouille, you know, yeah, man. <laughs> I was talking yeah. to Rebecca Wilkin and she mentioned that, you know, maybe I should watch it, you know, just to give me some ideas on what to talk mm-hmm. about. You know, so it ended up working out. I love that movie. It's great. That's yeah. That's, yeah. That's our favorite. That's our favorite. <laughs> we love Ratatouille. Yeah. That's so funny. That's wow. so good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been, it's been great. Is there anything else about the capstone that you wanted to, to mention or talk about before we maybe switch gears a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little thing like at the end, um, I do recall like talking about how there's culinary hybridity happening today. And that was one of the questions that came up in my, uh, Q and a when I was, um, when, uh, the, the panel was, uh, judging me. Culinary hybridity sounds like this fancy term, you know, like, Oh, I'm talking about France and Vietnam and Martinique and my senior thesis, but you know, it happens everywhere. Like think about Hawaiian cuisine, you know? Like, like, yeah, um, thinking about Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex is a huge mm. uh, sort of like, archetype of cuisine. And it's, I, I believe it's undervalued. Um, mm. But yeah, it's just, you know, culinary hybridity happens everywhere. And I encourage people to sort of keep an open mind, 
even when you see all those uh, sushi burritos on Facebook and uh, <laughs> huge poke cakes. Oh, I don't know if I could get behind that. <laughs> there's some, there's some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like some Franken foods, like chili dogs. I, I, I can pick, mm. I, I get it. Franken foods. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, well, yeah, when we get back up there to Seattle, we'll have to, we'll have to go adventure, you get bet. some Franken foods with you. Cause that, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's from a guy who knows his food. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know I like to eat food and that's about, that's as far as I <laughs> Hey, all right. That's a good start. Yeah. yeah right yeah. oh man very cool well thank you for sharing with uh with us that that uh, that's yeah it's such a cool capstone absolutely yeah we appreciate you coming on and talking about it but and so now now that we've got sort of like that that like uh workings like the outer workings of your mind the work <laughs> you put out right now mm-hmm. we like to switch gears and get the inner workings of your mind we like to get an idea for when we do this based this on how you organize your phone Right, because Ooh, right. we've established that's <laughs> that is the best, that is the clearest way to gain a psychological understanding of any individual. Right. That's okay. and that's just a fact. You can quote me on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first of all, are you iPhone or Android? Uh, iPhone. Excellent, iPhone. excellent. And how do you go about organizing the apps on your phone? Yeah, so um Yes, so the first page is all the default apps, you know, my calendar, photos, camera, um, mm-hmm. settings, whatever. Got my mm-hmm. got all my bulk um, default apps, you know, in a little folder on the front page. Mm-hmm. And that front page mm-hmm. is only for essential apps, you know, like things that come with the phone. <laughs> the second page is things that I use way more often. And so, you know, like my socials, like YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Venmo, Tumblr, Instagram, mm-hmm. whatever. And of course, I got my Gmail suite, you know, things that I use for PLU, like and the whole suite of Gmail shit. Mm-hmm. Um, those two separate things are put in folders. Yeah. So I keep them right at the top just because like, I'm not, I don't want to have to like hunt for a uh, hunt for the specific app, you know, on like, Absolutely. Yeah, it's like screen. So, you know, I just click on the folder and it's yeah. just right there in a three by three cube, or three by oh, three square, I should say. Perfect. Yeah. The rest of it is just like full of random apps. Like um, it's quite disorganized actually. Now that I think about it. <laughs> because <laughs> i only Uh-oh. spend time on sort of second page of my phone but my third and fourth are just sort of like my clutter jar you know? oh you have a third and fourth if i need page. an app oh, it's okay. probably there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if i need if i need stuff it's probably there my messaging apps on one location my music apps on one location um wow. in one folder i should say and those yeah. are in the bottom dock oh yeah, I was gonna say, uh, what's yeah. that we call it the core, core four. four what's your core four, core four. There? yeah <laughs> all right it'll be phone safari all my messaging apps and then all my music apps Nice. Oh, so you have folders yeah. oh, in your, in your core folder. Oh, yeah. that's a new one. It's honestly okay. so useful. Like if I need some if I ever need to access anything quickly, I just know it's bottom right, click, and middle of the screen. Okay. Nice. Um, I, I don't so know how see. to wait for it. So you were you were you were losing me with your third and your fourth page, but then you brought it back with the core four. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. That's a new approach. That's a new approach. We've seen like color, like people have organized their phones by color of apps. Some people do it alphabetically. Alphabetically. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, some people have no system whatsoever. Some people have absolutely no system. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. All right. I, I cool. like it. This is, that's good a good one. one. That's good a good one. one. I like it. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to you with our with our formal psychological evaluation <laughs> on what. <laughs> oh, See it on Twitter. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then from there, finally, we get to this section of the show we call C and N. C and and news <laughs> you bet uh, we've got uh, just just some just some bizarre headlines actually a couple of them are very fitting completely unintentional uh very fitting with the topics we've discussed so far 
um, mostly doing with drinking. Um, <laughs> we start out easily, though. A man that we've talked about on the show before, um, it's this guy uh, in Idaho, David Rush. He's this guy who breaks a bunch of like random world records in order to raise awareness for STEM, STEM mm-hmm. education. And so he took a liter of lemon juice and uh, he broke the world record for how quickly he drank that liter of lemon juice. What? And I want to I want to hear some guesses for for how fast you think you could drink a liter of lemon juice. I'll tell you how fast David did it. Oh, Oh, how fast I could do it. Yeah. Given a liter of lemon juice. (laughs) Probably 40 seconds. Okay. Okay. I feel feel like I could just, you know, chug it. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Okay. (sighs) Could you? Man, that'd be really dogging it. (laughs) I mean, the first couple uh, things would probably hurt. But. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's yeah, you're just, just numb. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's fair. I think it took me a minute and a half. So David did it in 17 seconds. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Yep. Um, yeah, going to juice through a straw in 17 seconds. Um, <laughs> through a straw? Yeah. Yeah, through, through a straw. That is the super suck. What? Yeah. <laughs> the previous record, 17.12 seconds. He crushed that by a whole point twelve seconds. Whoa. That way, David. Jesus. Rush said he kept throwing up after finishing the juice, <laughs> but his stomach discomfort his stomach discomfort lasted until the next day. So <laughs> shout yeah, out to our boy David for breaking the records <laughs> the rest of us can't. Wow. Oh, that's a lifetime of glory right there <laughs> yeah right yeah. well the the previous record we talked about he broke the record i think for getting hit in the face with wet sponges <laughs> the most so <laughs> david is just he's all over the place suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? that's great and uh now this next one is one i saw and i'm particularly intrigued in um so it uh it says brewery offers twenty thousand dollars to hike the appalachian trail and drink beer so basically, yeah, a Virginia brewery announced it is seeking a chief hiking officer who would be paid $20,000 to spend five to seven months hiking the Appalachian Trail and drinking beer. So I saved this one because I was like, this is something I want to apply for. Like, are you kidding me? I don't know if you're much, if you're much into outdoors, like hiking, camping, whatever, but Ooh, I, I mean, it. that's, that's, I mean, could you imagine like... Hiking the Appalachian Trail, just camping, drinking beer. They say they're gonna they're gonna meet you like all along the way, throw you beer drinking parties. Wow, you're like promoting their brewery and stuff. Oh, okay, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So promotion, mm-hmm. so it'd be like yeah. a social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, wow, that's interesting. Would you do that? Honestly, I feel like I would. You know, like yeah. you know, what's what's the worst that could happen? I get mauled out by a bear in the middle of the Appalachian Trail, and no one finds me. Yeah, yeah but I mean, you, yeah, <laughs> at least you got to drink a good beer the whole time. So, like, <laughs> actually, it depends. Yeah, is, is it good? Is it is a good beer? I mean, yeah. I don't know anything about this Virginia brewery, but let's see, Devil's Backbone Brewing Company, based in Lexington. Lexington. Mm. So, I have, Ooh, to, I have to look them up. But uh, mm. you know, from all the times I'm over in Virginia, you know. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> there. And yeah, yeah, how so long is the Appalachian Trail again? Five to seven months, you said? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, flown out to the trailhead for a 2,200-mile hike. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that is a <laughs> be, be a doozy. I could do... I could do, I could do like 20 miles. I'm going to multiply that by... Yeah, right. yeah. 20 grand, though. Oh, oh man. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, beer. That's, yeah, mm, it's tempting. It's tempting. Are they, like, supplying you with, like stuff as well like are they feeding you along the way? oh yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah I, 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 your I, case uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's a six pack <laughs> here, last here. Little, <laughs> gonna pack it with you oh my gosh you bet so yeah you have to like submit a video application or whatever and then they'll 
and be like, if you're good at social media stuff, then we'll, you know, I think what we found what we're going to do tomorrow. I'm yeah, sure. right. <laughs> Montage <laughs> video. Send <laughs> 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 a video great. of yourself just chugging a liter of beer and like running a mile. I, oh, it's easy. <laughs> the beer mile, dude. You heard about <laughs> the, the beer, beer mile? mile. Yeah, That's a thing. Yeah. Talking about culture. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. and then finally this one um not uh not really food related but i wanted to bring it up because this just happened recently so i don't know if you ever heard of the um let's see what's the book called it's called the thrill of the chase it was this guy who um was uh was like had this this crazy cancer and was like was gonna die but uh he had like mm-hmm. so much he had like a, a crazy about two million dollars worth of valuables and uh mm-hmm. this guy ends up making a recovery from cancer And he's like, you know what? I wrote this book the whole time. And uh, it was about how he wanted to hide this treasure with like all of his valuables in the middle of the woods. Hmm. And so when he made this recovery from cancer, he's like, shit, now I'm going to actually go out and do it. (laughs) So he went out, hid this treasure uh, 10 years ago and just wrote a 24 line poem. That was the only hints anyone ever got. And it was just found like about, it was just a couple of weeks ago that someone, uh, they found it in the Rocky Mountains. Like, uh, I think it was... um, just, just, uh, oh yeah, it's in the, in the middle of Wisconsin. So that's, wow. uh, I was just, that was just wow. this cool thing. This treasure hunt has been going on for more than 10 years and wow. was finally found. And wow. I heard about that and, or I heard it, maybe it was a different one, mm-hmm. but the guy got some blowback for it. Yeah. Cause I think like people died trying to find Yeah. It. Yeah. No, a couple Jeez. guys have died and then other people were like, oh, there's no way this is real. Cause yeah. you know, he was saying it's got $2 million worth of wow. valuables in it. Um, interesting. yeah, I, uh, had I known about that, I'd have, I'd been out there looking for it. You kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Forrest Fan was the guy's name. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's pretty sweet. That's just, that's I mean, just, I guess on the topic of being outdoors and being, yeah. you know, that's where, that's where I'm trying to be right now with all this, <laughs> this COVID stuff going on. So, oh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, uh, where we're at with the news, that's where we're at with uh, Food Bill. We've, we've loved having you on. This has been an awesome conversation. So we sort of wrap up here. Is there anything you want to shout out or any last plugs you want to make sort of before we, uh, we close out the show here? Um, yeah, I'd actually like to give a huge shout out to Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know? oh. <laughs> Love Ben and Jerry's. Um, I've got to support your, I would say local franchise, but they're not very local to me. So <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. love Ben and Jerry's. If you're eating ice cream. They're doing great things now too. I hear. They are, yeah, yeah, they are. They're very active in in uh, political activism, and yeah, yeah can't. Yeah, I love that. Love that uh, that organization. There, they've been doing good work, and also giving me the Tonight Dough and the Tonight Dough. The tonight dough. Can't complain. Can't complain about it. What's your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor? Ooh, the Americone Dream, hands down. Americone Dream. There you go. Mm. Easy. Mm. He's ready. He's ready on that one. Ben and Jerry's <laughs> okay. fanatic here. There you go. There you go. So if you could give our audience maybe one closing thought, maybe one closing thing about your capstone, and then maybe like a book or something that it could be about your capstone project, could not be about your capstone project, but like, you know, just something for people to to think about now. So I guess main takeaway, um, just open your eyes to, you know, the thrill of all the possibilities that could be, you know, it's like with uh, it's like what Remy is saying. You know, if you put two things together, you just get something that's like one plus one equals three. You know, type of thing. Um, keep your keep your mind open to the possibilities of trying out new foods and new cuisines. And if you're a picky eater, you should get over it because that's childish. Nice. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
for books in particular, actually, I, I would recommend from Provence to Pondicherry. Uh, it's right. got a good, you know, got a good selection of recipes and it's got beautiful uh, photographs. I wish I could show you guys, but um, it hasn't been working too well with my little green screen background. <laughs> and, you know, these pictures make me want to just like eat the page itself. <laughs> Sweet. That's excellent. Cool, cool. Well, we'll, we'll give that a look. Yeah, just send that to us and we'll, we'll put, yeah, it, we'll put, it, on. put it up on the, on the site. Yeah. yeah, I think that's... Yeah, Bill, thanks for coming on. This has been a blast. We've awesome. loved talking to you. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Take, take Bill's advice and open your mind to yeah. possibilities. Enjoy some good food. Yeah, yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks, thanks again for going on, Bill. And we'll um, catch you everyone on the next show. Yeah, catch you on Flippy Flip. All right. Well, bye-bye now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Sweet. Cool, man. That was great. That was awesome. <laughs>